The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car from True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Mike Renner. I don't know if we changed the avatar, but everybody's confused because of the Sam picture. Let's get Mike. Uh, can, Matt, can we get, can we yeah. get Mike's hair on there? Yeah, we need flow. a full hairline in the back. Uh, I don't want to be confused for whatever uh, that is that we usually put up there. For, for Sam. Yeah. Uh, but you're here. It's draft season. And we've done a ton of draft podcasts. If you haven't listened to them yet, from mock drafts, head-to-head mock drafts. We did superlatives last week. I loved our show the other day. Mm-hmm. Dream scenarios for each NFL draft team or for each team during the NFL draft. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Today, though, we're going to give back. Yeah. To our fans, to our listeners. Oh, we do this for you guys. We Answer want questions to give you guys exactly the content you want and. You asked us questions, so we're going to give you the content, which is the answers to your questions. Hopefully. We're a week away. We're one week away. We are one week away. It is From the uh, actual draft. So April 18th, next week, the 25th. We've, we've hit pretty much in. every... Basically, we're out of ideas for the show is what we're trying to tell you. Do we need to get into your uh, personal news? Oh, sure, if you want to. <laughs> Since you tweeted it out, you went rogue. So, I first of all, rogue. Sam, Sam's like your boss, and you just kind of went above his head I asked you to guys, get a new role. But we never really signed off on it. Okay. We well, kind of like, ah, you know, this is a pretty good idea, whatever. And before you know it, you went to Neil and you were tweeting about it. And well, Sam's called, on vacation. Sam's texting me back from vacation like, we're going to have it out when we get back. <laughs> I'm not having anything out. I'm fine. All right. What's your fake personal? By the way, I've been our draft guy. I've been our draft guru for three years. I don't even remember being demoted. All of a sudden, you're in charge of draft coverage. Lead draft analyst. Hmm. Interesting. Lead draft analyst, Michael. Lead Ryan. draft analyst. So, 
Who gave you that title? CEO. I'll take it. Man, this really isn't boding well for me. <laughs> like, am I really out after the draft? This, Steve, you're lead. You're the director of video content. Yeah, but nobody cares about that. You chose. You chose that path. I mean, it's a good path, but I was also kind of like, ah, you know, I'm still kind of the draft guy, and you know, I'm still, still in kind charge of and guy. everything. Just I gave, and I, and I said, Mike, I'm going to give you a little bit more leeway. I'm going to give you a little more say this year. Yeah, and then you just go steal my title. I feel like this is better than what I used to do, though, which was not much. So you should be That's happy. That's true. That's true. Mike, who is just, I mean, you are like Mr. Millennial. <laughs> I mean, you roll in here in sweatpants, late, leave early. Mm. You leave work to go walk your dog. I mean, it is like textbook mm-hmm. millennial guy. And you've been in before, before Neil, who gets in here at like 5 a.m. Did yeah. you really have a 5 a.m. office sh- uh, showing yeah. one time? I was in at 5.30 on Monday this week. That's crazy. Yeah. You deserve the new title. I was there for an hour before uh, anyone else, like an hour and a half. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. It was fun. As always, though, listen, congratulations on this this new role. Um, As always, though, it's about consistency. It's Mm -hmm. about showing up every week. Oh, I know. You know, we've seen your peaks Peaks. before, right? Mm -hmm. We've also seen the... But uh, it's if you can do it once, the Chris Jones, if you can do it once, you can do it every time. I can get you there every time. You're a big traits guy. (laughs) You've definitely got the traits, Mike. Just a matter of how often. All right. Let's get into uh, anything else you want to say? Nope. To the let's fans? get into the questions. You want to make a promise to the fans about how great it's going to be? Oh. Anything? Look out for maybe a preseason draft guide next year. Ooh. Preseason draft guide? A good Throw one. that into a the nice edge. Little, yeah. In the leak package. All right. Smart. Be on the lookout. All right. Let's get into our questions from, from Twitter. All right. Um, my friend Brodell Haggins. He bought one of my shirts, by the way. Oh. Tweeted it at me. Thank you, bro. Big fan. The Draft Good Player shirt. So he's one of, he's one of the thousands that bought mm-hmm. a shirt. Might have been only two. <laughs> but the shirts are flying off the shelves. He bought one of them. He says if the Jags did go defense in the first round, who should the pick be? He's a big Jags fan. Nick Bosa, obviously. If he's on at the number board. seven? If he's on the board. I'm kidding. Nick Bosa will be gone. Quinn and Williams was our dream scenario. But again, yeah. he's probably gone. I mean, what about a realistic scenario? Realistic scenario, <sighs> that one's tough. Uh, Would I mean, you take Jerry Tillery that high? Would you take at all? So I, I'd take I'd take Jerry Tillery that high. I'm saying more realistic scenario and what they actually might do. <sighs> I that one's tough. Defensive. This is the one that the Jags every single year at the top of the draft because there's no offensive talent. It's just tough to pigeonhole because there's no. There's no need necessarily defensively. They went Taven Bryan last year, and he barely saw the field. So I think you could still go defensive line. I think you can go any level of the defense. I think you could go BPA. If I had to pick one, though, that I think would go well in that defense, I will say say Brian Burns. Brian Burns. I'll go Brian Burns. Okay. So you take Burns at seven, potentially. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I say Byron Murphy for half the teams in the NFL because I love him as a corner. He could play slot there immediately. He could Probably play the slot there option. immediately. Uh, Jalen Ramsey and AJ Boye on the outside. You also can't keep uh, Ramsey and Boye forever, and you can never look at cornerback and just say you're set. We say this all the time. Mm-hmm. I would love Murphy in that scheme, and definitely thinks he think he has the quicks to play slot, which has been kind of an off and on strength and weakness for the Jags over the last couple of years. Inconsistent play there. So there's a few names for mm-hmm. you. For the Jags at number seven, uh, we have a question from at tweets for days. Tweets for days. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, ceiling and floor, player comparison for these players. DK Metcalf, Josh Rosen, and Brian Burns. What's their ceiling and what's their floor? So DK Metcalf, a classic ceiling and floor player. I think mm. he's, as, he's as dependent on usage and quarterback talent. I mean, all these receivers are dependent on quarterback talent, right, mm. for their production. But I think t- I don't, as long as teams don't try to make him Julio – or AJ Green in a high volume receiver, I think he could be that. What's mm-hmm. what's his best case scenario as a deep threat? <sighs> best case scenario as a deep threat. I, I mean, I think he has Randy Moss esque deep potential. Now Moss is a much more complete receiver, but I think on Whoa. the deep route tree, that's what he could be, and that's why people are that excited. Uh, about You can't him. say Randy Moss because look, so that's a ceiling. At, that's that's a really high ceiling. I wouldn't even give him that four three three speed with, with like sub one five ten. But what is legit deep? Did you watch the Randy Moss highlight film um, that th- that the NFL put out like last summer mm-hmm. or whatever it was? It was all of his forty yard plays. Mm-hmm. His ability to stack down the field, like he had nuanced down the field ability that was as good as it gets. Plus the freakish ability. That's why I would never put Randy Moss on anybody. That's that's why I can't say that. Okay, but I called him a souped up Will Fuller on our souped position. Up Will Fuller, you did video. I don't so, I mean, hate he's, that. he's bigger, stronger. Similar speed, can get off press, but you want him on that vertical route tree. Mm-hmm. So whatever that – I mean, Will Fuller hasn't stayed healthy, but a healthy Will Fuller is a guy that could have 1,200 receiving yards at you know 18 yards a pop. Yeah. I could see something like that for DK. I and just, yes, Randy Moss floor, seasons like that. Floor, Charles Rogers? Is that – no, Charles Rogers had off-field issues. Jonathan Baldwin. Killing them. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Jonathan Baldwin just never really it's translating. It's mm-hmm. There's a wide range of outcomes to DK Metcalf. Uh, Josh Rosen, ceiling and floor. Uh, again, I think, I think Rosen will see both during his career. That's the type of player he is. He'll have a ceiling that might be an Eli Manning type of year, where Eli Manning had a 2011 and 2012, where he was a top five to ten quarterback, but also had the rest of his career either average to I'm mean, ranking in the 20s in mm-hmm. PFF grades over the last four or five years. I could see Rosen having that type of wide range of outcomes just within his career. I don't even know if it's like. If he hits a ceiling, he'll do this consistently. I think he will naturally fluctuate because he's a, a situation-dependent type of quarterback. Yeah, I think a ceiling, something like – I don't even see a ceiling being that high. I feel like a ceiling is more like Nick Foles. But hmm. not, not Nick Foles when, you know, with the Eagles, but just Nick Foles. The, that, I think the that's overall a ceiling. Career. Yeah. So I've made the Eli Manning comp for Rosen. I think he's in that Eli Manning slash Jameis Winston type of bucket. But even now – We'll take a lot for him to even get there, mm-hmm. you know, from what we've seen from him. And then how about Brian Burns? Brian Burns, I think his ceiling is somewhere along the – I've made Yannick Ngakwe comparison. I, I think that's what you're hoping for at the next level. And I, we kind of just I threw him on the Jaguars. But I think that Cameron Wake, that sort of spectrum is what you're hoping for. Cameron Wake him. would be a good mm-hmm. comparison because Burns – Probably won't be great against the run. Wake was never really good against the run, but if you're providing enough as a pass rusher, who cares? Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. And then, and then the, the floor, Leonard Floyd. That's his floor, though? He's not going to be worse than Leonard Floyd? Floyd? No, he's better than Leonard Floyd right now, as is, but that's like about... No uh, Vernon Golston or anything like oh, that? Oh, God, no. No, he's not that. No, he's much more He's much more refined as a pass rusher. Honestly, I don't think his... I think his floor is actually higher than Leonard Floyd, but you worry about him just being a little skinny at the next level, and it never really translating to too much as a pass rusher. All right, let's go to uh, – what do we have here? 
American Titan us? I don't even. Oh, I, at Titan twenty four hundred, mm-hmm. underrated three four nose tackles. Underrated three four nose tackles. Like great gains, right? Yeah, great gains. Washington, that dude can play the nose and. He's got really I, I th- short arms, though. I mean, that you, doesn't you want really your matter. True at nose that. to be a lockout and shed guy now, right? That doesn't matter as much on the nose. Uh, I mean, a lot of centers have really short arms too. Garrett Bradbury's got like little T Rex arms, so I think. Um, on the nose tackle, Greg Gaines is your your best bet after you know where you where you'd want to take a nose tackle round four probably. Yeah. What about uh, Kalen Saunders? Kalen Saunders, I mean, we're higher on than most because I think he can has a little more positional. He can play a little more up and down the D line. Uh, is a much more athletic, I think, than Greg Gaines. So I guess he's underrated too. If you're <laughs> Going to really get to it. I'm not. He's more of a penetrator, though. I, I don't think he's as two gapper. We talk about three, four nose tackle. It's a head up zero tech. One a guy who can two gap the center. Kalen Saunders to me is much more of a sp- split a double team, knife into the backfield. That's the style of player he is. You know, nuts on the center, that sort of thing. You can still do that at nose tackle for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Carrier asks, what is the least valuable position besides running back and special teams? Another way to phrase this would be, what is the position that is most easily replaced with an average player for cheap? I think we just touched on it. It's 3-4 no stack. 3-4 no stack. So I asked Eric and George, and you know they've got wins above replacement, this whole formula that they've been working on, and they found a big discrepancy between left guards and right guards for whatever reason, that right guards are more valuable. Left guards year over year just come across as less valuable, so it's... I, I wasn't expecting that, but they, they're telling me left guard. Nose tackle makes sense, too, because you're talking about a guy that might play three to 400 snaps. Although I do think elite play at nose tackle is valuable. Like when you have a Damon yeah. Harrison, it is extremely valuable I think if you're at the high I mean, end. Elite play anywhere is good for your football team. So yeah. like Quentin Nelson, you've got he wasn't elite necessarily last year. He will be, I think, mm-hmm. in the future. Having him at left guard, still tough to justify, though, at six. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's high. Like it is high, and I wouldn't take Dexter Lawrence at six either. Uh, even if you know you told me Dexter Lawrence is going to be a very good nose tackle, just six hundred snaps a game at nose. It's the more of the you're not on the field enough at nose tackle, and you're not on the field in critical downs if you weigh three hundred forty pounds. And as a left guard, you know you're doing most of your work in the run game, and most left guards aren't giving up more than twenty twenty five pressures. It's and, be, I, and not losing is the most important I thing. I think guard. it's the left guard versus right guards because left tackles in general are better than right tackles. So you'll get le- like stunts, that sort of thing. You'll be in more favorable situations. Yeah. So left guard and nose because tackle. Because the guy next to you is better. At Brojo Death Punch? Do I have to read the names where these are coming from? These if they from? sound ridiculous, like... Unfortunately, Brojo I'm not going to read the Twitter. I would just read the questions from now on. <laughs> All right, so. you'll know if it's yours. Well, re- I'm not no, we'll pronouncing things anyway, and it just it puts me on the spot and all that stuff. So, what are some of the best landing spots for the top receivers in this class? I like this question. And uh, where do you see the top? And I love how he put this: the top in quotes, mm. running backs, best landing spots. It's like he's speaking to us, Brojo. <sighs> I've said DK Metcalf to the Bills. Bills fans don't love that, but I think that fits. Like him with Josh Allen seems like a match made in heaven in terms of their skill sets. I've said AJ Brown to the Packers. I think, I think it's a great fit. I, I think AJ Brown to any good quarterback, yes. I want, you know, or a good passing system. Put him to the Packers, mm-hmm. the Colts with Andrew Luck, the Patriots with Brady. 
I think would be just a great fit because I think they'd use him well, use him at all levels of the field, and take advantage of that skill set. And I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, too. Steelers, Panthers, both those teams make a lot of sense in terms of how they, the quarterbacks he'd be going to. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Uh, what about Andy Isabella to the Chiefs? So if Tyree kills Tyree on, kills the field, on the field, could he oh, yeah. I mean that replacement? Yes, if that's... If no Tyree Kill, yes, if if Tyree Kill. I think Hakeem Butler mm-hmm. to the Colts mm-hmm. would be interesting back into the first round. Going with Andrew Luck. I think Debo Samuel. Um he's already told did you see his tweets about like, hey Bill, I'll see you soon to Belichick? Like he's like really? expecting the Patriots yeah. to pick him. Interesting. Late first, I assume. And then I said Marquise Brown to the Raiders would be an interesting one. Marquise as well. Brown to the Raiders because you want to put him in the slot. Yeah. With Antonio Brown and Tyrell. That's a lot of speed on the field with right. Tyrell Williams. Al Davis, back from the dead. Rises. What about Deontay Johnson, Toledo, to replace Antonio Brown with the Steelers? Ooh. That's just two. That's just full circle. That would be awesome to watch, though. That'd be one. Mac, and then, wide out, electric. Electric. Any good Cowboys compliments to Amari Cooper? Like, would Nikhil Harry, if you, if you could get Nikhil Harry round two. I feel like Riley Ridley would make sense. Riley Ridley. Yeah. So I think with Dak. Because, like, that offense is like a route runner's yes. offense. Yeah. Dak needs guys that get open. Individual. He doesn't individual need contested routes. catch yeah. guys. Yeah. You want a Riley Ridley. I think Terry McLaurin would be nice there, mm-hmm. potentially. Speed. Opposite Amari Cooper. And with Michael Gallup, I think you're starting to piece together. And not an, an exciting receiving core, but kind of like Seattle has kind of turned out just. Yeah. Guys who get open type of you know receivers, so I think Terry McLaurin or Riley Ridley, two guys we have as early third round picks, maybe to Dallas, would be uh, mm-hmm. would be good fits, and they have that uh, second round pick where they could grab either of those guys. Um, running back, best landing spots. Have we even have you thought about this at all? Can we pass? I'd like to pass on best running back landing spots. We pass. We appreciate the best, air quotes. Where's the best, best? But where's the top landing spots? Fourth round. That's the top Ooh. landing spots. I'm going to say place with a good offensive line okay. and a good pass game. Yeah, that helps. And a good play caller. Mm-hmm. All the other things that affect the running game. Um, I don't know if there is – trying to see if there's a guy that just has that type of versatility that that would be used properly. Because the generic thing to say is every good receiving back, just put him in New England because you know they'll use him or something. James like Williams. That. James to Williams New to New England. There you go. There's your best fit. Um, you've written this up this week. So where would you rank both Devins among inside linebacker prospects? You wrote both of those Ooh. guys up this week, compared mm-hmm. and contrasted them. Do you guys plan on doing any articles that compare top prospects against uh, in previous classes? So that's a great question. So let's remember last year we had three yeah. first-round grades on inside linebackers. We had Roquan, Roquan Smith, then Leighton. Leighton Van Der Esch and uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds was. And then we had Leighton in like the 20s. Edmonds around late 20s. Roquan was top 10 on yes. our board, I want to say. So I think Devin White would be after Roquan before the others. Agree. Okay. So Roquan Smith first. Yes, Roquan Smith Devin first. Devin White yes, second. second. Devin Bush is – I probably would have put him ahead of Leighton Vanderish. Yeah, Knowing based, what I know now, based obviously. Off, based off our pre-draft rankings, we'd probably have Devin Bush, then Leighton Vanderish, then Tremaine Edmonds. Yes. Based off what we saw as rookies, oh, yeah, Leighton yeah. Van Der Esch might be number one yeah. on this entire list. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, last year at this time we had the fascinating discussion of Leighton Van Der Esch had actually played fewer snaps than Tremaine Edmonds 
But Tremaine Edmonds was getting this whole well. He's young. He has upside, and we were, you know, we're still trying oh. to figure out what's the most important deal oh. here. I, the, is it the experience one, or is it one of the things that always? And I'm going to go off on a rant here. Yes, is, I'm going to take a break. Is the the difference between uh, levels of elite athleticism? People think that oh, Tremaine Edmonds because he's just on this other level that you know, Leighton Vanderish was an elite athlete in his own right. But because Tremaine Edmonds runs just like a tenth faster in X drill and has an inch longer arms, that all of a sudden like he can get to this higher level, and so that's why you take him first. It's like there's so much other things that go into playing the game of football that like that tenth of a second and that inch of arm length this is not like there's no high there's no perceived higher ceiling. People perceive that as oh he has a higher ceiling, but it's not like well, that's not at the case. A reactive position like linebacker. Yes. Where so much of it is just understanding the game and being in the right position, yes. not so much how quickly you're getting there. Yeah, and like the differentiating of levels between freak athleticism, like the and I saw it earlier. The if like the Ed Oliver, Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft had Ed Oliver going over Quinn and Williams because Ed Oliver has this perceived oh he you know he ran four seven five Quinn ran four eight three he had you know the short shuttle Quinn didn't have it like he has a higher level of athleticism yes. But like his best case scenario is he puts on twenty pounds and looks like Quinn and Williams in two years. You know, like that's his best case scenario. Quinn Williams already there. Like there's no this perceived like higher level that this guy can get to at Oliver. You would only draft him if you think he can be a better player, will be a better player than Quinn. And I don't think that's there's purely athleticism does not explain uh, someone's ceiling. I'll that's, say. I mean, well said. Yeah. It's still how often you win and lose is yeah. going to be. There are just so much more that goes into playing the game of football. The, the more we talk about this stuff and the more we just focus on this PFF production grade at so many positions, all we're saying is all those little things that you're accounting for, mm-hmm. all the testing numbers, the off-the-field mentality, how hard a guy works, yeah. all of that stuff is essentially baked into the PFF grade because mm-hmm. most of it's going to just show up on the field anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, why is a guy going to completely change the type of player he is from college to the NFL? It's baked in. Yeah. I so love and I love everything. I love I always love going to Stephen Curry for cross-board analogies because to me he's the perfect example of oh, he's like skinny, not super athletic. What he doesn't have upside. You know, like you wouldn't say he has upside. Yeah. The Minnesota Timberwolves drafted Johnny Flynn out of Syracuse over him because they thought he had more athletic upside whereas like you don't have like Steph Curry is now you know one, MVP is whatever the best one of the best players in the NBA because he like he had skill upside because no one can quantify what skill upside is whereas like right. Quentin Williams his skill upside is over at Oliver's because he's already done it like he's already like showed it every single time he stepped on a football in the field. SEC yeah right so and the whole thing comes down to evaluation versus valuation too it's the whole idea of when you look at measurables you're evaluating those numbers. And saying those are good, mm-hmm. they're great, they're average, whatever it is. But then, how much value do you put on them is the issue, because anybody could say Ed Oliver has elite numbers when it comes to measurables. However, how do you value those? You can't all of a sudden change the value. You can't overrate them and all of a sudden say, "Well, he, we have to stack him above Quinnen," because now you're overvaluing them. Yeah. Right. So eval versus. Yeah, I'm not saying athleticism no. doesn't matter. It 100 percent matters. But splitting, saying one guy has more potential just because of a difference, like a minor difference in athleticism, is very, in my opinion, wrong. When the ironic thing is, because PFF grades have so many more data points, mm-hmm. the difference in, say, like a 92 grade and an 88 is actually significant mm-hmm. because it's a lot of plays that have gone into that yes, grade. Yes. And it does actually have you know, a little bit of an impact. So 
to finally answer the question, it was Roquan Smith, Devin White, Devin Bush, Leighton Van Der Esch, Tremaine Edmonds. Correct. Five and first we were round. not very high on Darius Leonard, unfortunately. So no, we weren't as high on Darius Leonard. But we also had, we didn't have a data set to rely yeah, upon. It was more just Senior Bowl analysis mm-hmm. and everything on him. All right, we got a question about the O line class. Is this the strongest O line class we've had in a while? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most top heavy in terms of our grades. We have six, we have five. I think a tackle. We have five right. first rounders that tackle. One on the interior offensive line, first round grades. But That's last year, the most we had we've had ever had a tackle. Quentin Nelson and Will Hernandez as first round guards. Mm-hmm. Frank Isaiah, Ragnall is a first win. Also, Isaiah Win was a tackle slash yeah. guard for us. Uh, so la- I think last year, Frank Ragnall was last a first year was round one of the center. best ones. I think we've had. last year. I think was if you're going across the entire O line, probably the most first round grades we ever gave out. Right, a lot of seconds as well. This tackle class though is the best. The tackle class was it Ronnie Stanley, Jack Conklin, and Laramie Tunsil all the same year? Yeah. That was good, but that, that, was, that good. was it for us in terms of first-round grades. Yeah, year. this year and that year, I think, are the only years that we had At that we felt three. really good about yeah. the tackle class. Ryan Ramchak's year, it was pretty much just him. Him. Bowles, we had a second. That's right, yeah. So. And, you know, Ramchak might be the best out of all of them. Love him. Uh, why are you this, – this is at Mike, pretty much – why are you at PFF so high on Tillery? Is there a chance that he's there at 26 asking for a friend? I'll answer the second part first. There's a great chance yes, that he's there I at 26 because I think we're way higher on him than the rest of the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a very good shot that that's the pick. Like just going going from like the middle of the first round on, like the Giants, I don't think that's feasible at all. The Vikings could, but I mean, I think everyone's penciled them into O-line. They do have a need at three technique, but everyone's penciled them in O-line. Titans already have a three technique. Steelers already have their D-line set. Seahawks could. I mean, Malik McDowell was supposed to be that guy for them, so Seahawks are a possibility. Ravens already have their interior set. Texans already have J.J. Watt basically in that position. They have a solid. Raiders could take anybody on the D-line. Raiders could take anyone on the D-line. Have Maurice Hurst kind of in that position. I think they'll go elsewhere. Right. And then the Eagles, I mean, they're not going to draft Fletcher Cox. They already have at that position. So there's a very good chance he's on the board at 26. By the way, the 26 is the Colts, who, when we talk about best fits, Tillery is one of the best fits for yes. them, fitting need and value. Um, and why are we so high on him, Mike, was also part of the question. Tied Quinn and Williams for the highest pass rushing grade in the country this past season. He's 6'6", 295, over 34-inch arms. That's ideal athletic profile for a interior pass rusher had the same t- had a sub 1710 yard split a 1.69 that was the same as chris jones is coming out and i think he's another one where you're splitting hairs athletically if you have you know again why we have him over ed oliver ed oliver freak athlete jerry tillery also like an elite athlete he had a very good 10 time a very good short shuttle a very good three cone a he's very good vertical jump and, and he has better size yeah. length all that sort of thing. So you're splitting hairs at that point. One is freakier. Yes, Ed Oliver is freakier, but Tillery pretty much freak in his own right. So freak athlete, on-field production is fantastic. There you go. The other part to figure out, like you said, you don't know, why does everybody assume that skill can get that much better? You know, every, you People think that, that skill can get this much better, say, when maybe yeah. it can only get this much better, and you need to be able to, be able to measure that. Uh, here's a good question. Uh, this guy would love uh, Ryan R- Rivers. Would love to hear an in-depth Brian Burns versus Josh Allen comparison. Burns had more pressures per game than Allen last season, yet there were quite a few players between them in your big board. Just curious what the reasons are for the disparity. I'll answer the pressures per game mm-hmm. first. I mean, Josh Allen only rushed the passer about 250 times. Burns was in like the 460s, I think it was. I got the I could check the exact numbers, but Burns had so many more attempts, and he did have the most pressures in the FBS during the regular season. 
Allen just didn't have a, that many attempts. But on a per-play basis, he had the best pass rush productivity. He had the best pass rush grade, which, which accounts for how quickly you get there, how often you get there, and if you're forcing fumbles when you get there as well, where Josh Allen had a bunch. Yeah. All of that factors into the grade and the evaluation. So that's why Allen was above Burns in our pass rush grades and a big part of why he's above him, above him on, the, on the big board. Yeah, the biggest difference is power to me. And I'm not saying Brian Burns can't get there. I mean, we saw Josh Allen, how much he remade his body. But Burns already put on 15. But he already had that sort of summer where he gained a bunch of weight and still had no bull rush to speak of. And so right. the NFL level, that helps a lot. The Making offensive linemen fear you going straight through them uh, is valuable. They can't, they can't open up and keep their, have their shoulder pads exposed against a guy who could legitimately bull rush them if they get into a shoulder pad. So Josh Allen has that. Brian Burns at the moment does not. And it's a good question because we do have them two and three on our edge board, mm-hmm. but they're about 11 or 12 players apart on the overall draft board. Someone did respond to that and say, I'll assume it's the run defense that separates them. And while that is, a f- I mean, Josh Allen is a little bit better against the run, mm. I don't think it's either of their calling cards at all. No. Um, the one other thing I will say about Josh Allen, I keep saying this, if he was just a linebacker, I think he's a, if he was, if he didn't even rush the passer once. I think Burns could do that too, though, watching think, Burns at the combine. But I've seen uh, no, Josh yeah, Allen but yeah, do We have it. seen it, yeah. Like, is Josh Allen like a second round off the ball linebacker if he never even rushed the passer? Like, he's in that range, I think. Yeah, first round off ball linebacker. You think he'd first be yeah. first round? So that's the type of player that he is. He might not even tap into that skill at the next level, but there's that added yeah. layer of versatility that's helpful as well. All right, Mike, you're a Notre Dame homer, so yes. why isn't Miles Boykin getting more draft buzz? I would argue his combine was every bit as impressive as Metcalf's. Good production, great size, and character. Yeah, I mean, he had a very... He tested out as about as good as you can test out the combine at the wide receiver position. I will say a few different things that I didn't like about his game. Is one is he just... Did not have a, he did not maintain that burst throughout his routes. He did not was not quick in and out, getting in and out of his cuts. Some guys are, some guys aren't. Miles Boykin just was not necessarily quick and did not gain much separation on his routes. Not a very nuanced route runner runs his routes a little higher than you would like. Good release at the line of scrimmage. Very good ball skills. Not a lot of drops this past season. But the thing that also worries me is when a guy is that athletic and only two broken tackles all last season. Mm. Nothing after the catch to speak of whatsoever. If you go back and just look at you know our NFL grades, the guys who don't break a lot of tackles tend to grade out lower. The guys who break a lot of tackles tend to grade. There is just there is a minor there is some sort of correlation between broken tackles and production in the NFL. Just that innate ability to not have guys tackle you is a valuable football skill that good receivers usually have. Good answer, Mike. Good answer. There you go. Um, we also have a question. Who in this draft could be a late-round steal as an off-ball linebacker? So it depends on where Tavon Coney yeah, we love, is Yeah, we love him. I imagine he won't go day two, so he qualifies. We have him as a day two player. If he ends up as a day three player, boom, he is the guy mm-hmm. that could be a steal as an off-ball linebacker. Uh, Voshan Joseph from Voshan Florida, Joseph. an interesting guy. David Long from West Virginia, freakishly athletic if you can get him to play more under control, because he is completely out of control. But he reminds me a lot of Javis Brown, who's turned into an all-right linebacker for the Chargers, yeah. who was just, I mean, he had no idea when to not go 100 miles an hour. That's David Long. It led the nation in missed tackles each of the last two seasons. Uh, but he also made a lot of plays as well. Like He got to a lot of plays. That's why he missed a lot of tackles. So I think, yeah, him and Voshan Joseph had that athletic ability that, 
is basically what you need to be a coverage linebacker in today's NFL. You better be athletic. The one other name I'll mention is Caden Ellis from Idaho who ran one of the most ridiculous three cones I think we've ever seen. Was it sub 6-5? Yes, it was 6-3-3 maybe. Here, let's see. 6 four, eight, six, four, Either way, he played at Idaho, um, played this hybrid edge slash overhang player, outside linebacker type of position. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just a really good football player. Overall, movement skills and all that stuff. He feels like one of those vertical, uh, versatile type of threats that you know could play technically six, the off. Six four nine. Six four nine. At a cool two hundred thirty nine pounds. So six four nine is pretty good. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So Caden Ellis, a potential mm-hmm. off ball linebacker as well. You want to just do uh, rapid fire? Sure. A couple other ones because they've been coming in. They're still rolling in these questions. So I'm going to try to flip through here on Twitter. Um, I don't want to answer this one, but why is there not a scouting combine drill that measures how many potatoes a player can eat in five minutes? Mm. That's a stupid question. Uh, translatability is probably why. They probably did, They ran the analytics on it and said, this has no correlation to NFL success. We're gonna, we don't know yet until you try it. Then maybe they tested it at the, the whatchamacallit combines, the oh, yeah. regional combines. The regionals know. probably have that. Here's a great one from a guy named Patrick. What have you learned from previous drafts to improve your take on this one? I like that question. I'd have to think a little this more in depth. Se- this could be a whole separate segment, really. Yeah. Um, what have I Think about it. Let's circle drafts. back to it at the end of the, end of the show. Okay. We'll wrap it up with Running that. Running backs don't matter. Continue. All of that's going to be a part of it. Is Josh Allen's value in a true 3-4 enough, uh, high enough that a reasonable trade-up uh, could be a win-win for both teams? How would that look? So I think the teams that are interesting there are the Bucks at five, Giants at six. To to fl- someone move up toward them, or they move up for they move up to Josh for Josh Allen because the Buck. I still think the Bucks are in this no man's land of the draft. Assuming that they're not looking for a quarterback to replace Jameis, I think they would love to come away with either a Quinnen, Bosa, or Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. But all those guys are probably off the board plus Kyler. And then they pick, and then they're like, I don't know. Where I, do I go? I feel like the if I'm penciling in Josh Allen to any team, it would be the Bucks or the Lions in terms of who would really get value out of like those two teams would be perfect uh, schematically. They would be able to get recoup value where who they're going to get at eight or five, uh, respectively. They're just not going to get as much nearly of an impact player that Josh Allen could make in those defense. So those two, I think, Giants, like you're not obviously have Dave Gettleman and could, but you're not in any position where you should be trading up at the moment. That would do nothing for you right. in terms of long term team building. To be the one who trades down away from and gets more, don't be the team that trades up. But if you were the Cardinals, what type of offer would it take for you to move down? What type of offer? Raiders three first round picks. Um, I mean, I'm four twenty four twenty seven. I just, I don't think I would four twenty four and twenty seven. Well, because the debate there is, if I have Josh Rosen plus picks four twenty four and twenty seven, hypothetically, mm-hmm. can I generate more value from those four players or Kyler Murray? Yeah, I guess that was that is what it would have to be. I, I probably would take that at that point. So let's let's pretend because you took that, because then, right? then if that Rosen's bad, well, I'm going to be up there next year. Is uh, so you could have let's say you have Josh Rosen, and then you have four twenty four and twenty seven. Now you're talking about you could have say Jonah Williams on your O line four. Mm-hmm. You could have uh, a corner, a Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, maybe a twenty four, mm-hmm. 
and another receiver, a receiving threat, and Hakeem yeah, Butler at 27. Yeah. So hypothetically, you're talking Josh Rosen plus Jonah Williams plus Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker plus Hakeem Butler. Yeah. And it's, versus yeah. Kyler Murray. Yeah. I, I think that's what I would need mm-hmm. if I'm Arizona. Yeah, it would take at least two first-rounders. So maybe, say, say if it's the Giants, there were two first-rounders, and then maybe a, a second you could take as well from them. 6-17, and they're second. But, that, yeah, that's about Then you it. might have a Jonah Williams, Brian <laughs> Burns, Debo Samuel. Four would be nice, though, because you're getting either Josh Allen, Quinn Williams, Nick Bosa at that point. You could get, like, yeah, I think that's you get one of those. That's true. You could yeah. get one of those. I would get one of those guys maybe before you get, mm-hmm. uh, before you get Jonah. If you're the Raiders, would you trade all three picks? For Kyler Murray. No. For the exact same scenario you kind of just said. You got Derek Carr, which is almost like Josh Rosen's best case scenario at okay. this point. So. Because if you did that, then you're talking about, okay, they gave up Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, plus a first-round pick for Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Just to go from Derek Carr to Kyler Murray. Yeah, that would be. And, that's, and that would be risky. Mm-hmm. So maybe I didn't answer the question well because I gave an unrealistic scenario. Uh, what team do you see taking a shot on Will Greer and in what round? I, if I'm the Patriots, I, I would take him maybe at 32, get that fifth year. I mean, to me, he's a guy for the Patriots, the Chargers, the Saints in the second. All these teams that are – the Saints in the second would be fascinating because all these teams that have a quarterback in place, I like him as that developmental option. If I'm the Dolphins, maybe in the second, I would take him because, you know, they might be in two-year tank mode, but it's still – you know that's not going to keep me from taking Trevor Lawrence in two years if I get the if I get mm-hmm. blessed with that option. So it's like take shots at the quarterback position. I would take shots on Will Greer late first, as high as late first, but more more likely knowing his valuation, maybe second or third. Yeah, I'm more NFL second or third. Though I've heard some rumblings that some teams secretly love him. <laughs> There's some secret buzz mm. around him. I just then I just name drops. I was gonna say that seems rumblings. like it's not secret then, but. Well, now it's not secretive anymore. What are your opinions on Texas wide receiver Lil Jordan Humphrey, other than having a great name? The guy named Texas King, by the way, mm. says, where do you see him drafted? His tape was amazing, but he did not test well at the draft. I refute that his tape was amazing, unfortunately. I um, his tape was all, not all, but a lot of what I've, I like to call fluff at the wide receiver position, where it's just basically you're getting scheme targets open, you're getting a bunch. You're getting pumped a bunch because he was a slot receiver there for Texas. Vast majority of snaps. Bunch of fluff targets. Bunch of fluff production. Now he's fairly good after the catch. Fairly strong uh, as a wide receiver. Fairly strong at the catch point, but just zero athletically. And to you where said, like, he's at that point, I don't like. You can break tackles on small. He literally is just a contested catch receiver at this but point, yeah, right? I, I just I think he might not get drafted. You've said fluff honest. production. Probably fifty times today between the multiple videos. Yeah, we that did we've a done. whole wide receiver video, so I did. Yeah, but we need a and, and I don't hate you uh-huh. for that. I'm just saying we need we need a fluff production metric. Fluff. We production. need fluff and earned fluff versus earned. Production. That would be that's, that's I like that actually. Right, quantifying like a fluff tick box. Yes, for guys. Just this one's fluff. I saw eighty yards fluff. Uh, what's the highest you would take a tight end slash running slash running back in this year's draft? This is a great question. I'll start Ooh. with tight end. I mean, it would be I don't a tight want to take end first. TJ Hawkinson in the, ten, the top ten. Correct. Wherever the people feel like they're putting Hawkinson in the top ten, where it's like, well, the Jags don't have a ton of needs. Let's just give them a tight end, or you know, the the Lions will take TJ Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. I just there might be some knowledge behind that, but man, I wouldn't take him before probably twenty 
20 is probably the, the earliest I would take him. And I know you Look, don't want to f- take him. The, the first fight. team that I would consider it for, I like, I'll say this. I usually am not on board with taking tight ends in the first round. I am not. But again, if you're a team that's going to use a tight end, it's going to use, because almost like in a vacuum, like a lot of teams just don't have plans to use them. So if you're, for the most part, they end up not working out or not giving you value because you don't have a plan to use them. Teams that I would consider it in the first, I think Pittsburgh at 20, I would consider it because I think they'd have a plan to use them. Ben Roethlisberger would take advantage of them, and the inline blocking that he provides would be useful, would work in that offense. After that, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to until 32 at New England. I think the Colts already have enough at that position at tight end. 32 New England, maybe 30 Green Bay. 30 Green Bay. That's those are the three teams I could see getting enough out of him to justify a first-round pick on him. I'll say this, though. If you're a team like the Jaguars, and they're not a good fit for this discussion, but if you're a team like the Jaguars that's just in the, the playmaker business right now, like I need tight ends, I need receivers, I need somebody to catch the ball, then I don't think the tight end class is that deep. I think Hawkins is the clear top guy. I'm not saying take him at seven. I'm saying if you're the Steelers, <sighs> they also need a receiver, right? The Steelers take a tight end. And because of the depth of the wide receiver class, they could still get a pretty good receiver in the second round. I, I'd rather that than maybe taking a receiver at mm-hmm. 20 and then you take the next second or third tier of tight end mm-hmm. the second time around. I do wonder what the Jags and Bills are going to do with that 7-9 and nine pick. Because there's for value-wise, if they're going to add offensive playmakers, which you'd love to. You're those two franchises. You'd love to add multiple if possible. Trade down. I wonder if both of them are looking to trade down, and we'll do it at a cheaper price because I don't think people are going to be wanting to trade up to seven for quarterback. Well, we keep saying how Metcalf would be a really good fit for Josh Allen, a really good fit for Nick Foles, both guys who like to push the ball down mm-hmm. the field and need a guy to do that. But at the same time, Hakeem Butler would be too. And he'll be Butler would be too, but you don't. But yeah, yeah, you don't want to take either of those guys top exactly. ten. If yeah. You don't have to. You could take them at exactly. twenty if you could trade down. Still need that. Uh, you need a trade up partner. Is always the, yes. uh, the issue, as yes. they tell me. How soon would you take a running back, Mike? How soon? All right. So, Josh Jacobs, talented player. I, I really just can't see taking him in the second round of this draft. I know we have him around 60 Eagles or so on our big board. What, it, what team would get value out of him that I would be willing to, first team to pull the trigger that I'm looking at here? Third round, going through. I may have played around with a three-round mock that may be released next week. Mm-hmm. that may have Josh Jacobs to the Eagles at 53. I could see Buffalo at 74. Buffalo, 74. Okay. Sean McCoy is, is downsloping in yeah. his career. Did not did not look great last year. And they're starting uh, to round out the rest of their yeah. set of playmakers, right? So you could tack him on as a, as a receiving weapon. Right, maybe Okay, I guess actually maybe Kansas City at 63 also. Because oh, of what they do, they feature them in the running. In, they would... Andy Reid would use his receiving skills. Like, yeah, but from a value standpoint, you're better off picking corner three yes. corners before you ever pick that first running back. Correct. Can, Mahomes is yeah. going to make up for that. This is fair. They have two um, second rounders, so we'll see. That's why we're discussing this. This is a fun podcast. I don't want it to end. Jets fans taking a shot at us, though. I'm going to... Oh, oh no. Uh, since PFF doesn't know who Chris Herndon is, which was a joke, yeah. by the way. That's Eric. Well, Eric and George might not know who he is, but that's different. <laughs> Um, we know who he is, Miami tight end. What tight end should the Jets target in the draft? Mm. I don't know. 
Dawson Knox. I don't. I don't care. I don't like the rest of the tight end class. Jace Jace Sternberger, our number your, three tight end. Yeah, that's, that's my your, guy. I think that's who you want. Late target. second, early third. If they get him early third, mm-hmm. good fit for the Jets. Jace Sternberger. There you go. KD, keep making Chris Herndon jokes. Uh, this is a good one. L- watched last year's draft again, and it's painful for non-Chargers fans. Watching Derwin slide to 17 without much talk about him being passed over. What's the one prospect you think this year the NFL will just make a mistake on? Who's going to... Jonah. Who are they going to look We said on? it. Jonah's going to slide down boards. Jonah and Jerry Tillery are going to... Jonah's going to go like 18th to the Vikings somehow, and they'll actually look, they'll back into the best offensive lineman in this draft for once. And then I think Jerry Tillery's going to go all the way to 26 or 28, maybe 32, and come off the board, and someone's going to be looking smart. All right. Those. I think you're right there. Another quick Tillery question. If the Raiders draft Williams, I assume that means Quinn in at four. And if Tillery is still available at 24 or 27, would it make sense for them to double dip there, even with Hurst on the roster? Is that overkill? Is it Quinn and Williams, no. Jerry Tillery, and Maurice Hurst? No, I do not think so. I think you can get them all on the field at once. I think Tillery could even play end. I mean, he's 295, could play him at 290, and he can play defensive end and win in that, in that manner. So, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's overkill. Plus, no, right. no one plays. People come off the field. You need a rotation everywhere. Let's wrap it up with this one. On paper, isn't David Long the best corner in the draft? 6.45, three-cone. Allowed less than 10 catches in both 2017 and 2018. Gave up a passer rating under 30 and allowed only 42 total yards this year. PFF is higher on him than anyone. But why is everyone else so much lower? That is a good question, why everyone else is so much lower. I actually went searching for that, and it's, it's difficult. It was difficult to find many answers besides, you know, he might struggle. Like, he might the, the fact that he's undersized might come back to haunt him. The fact that he never played zone might not be good at the next level. But I agree with that. The zone one is the biggest concern to me. That's why I'm still not really pounding the table for me. He really hasn't shown anything in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there really is a lot to like. Uh, the, the, the grabbiness at the top of routes is a thing. It's something with a lot of cornerbacks, though, in college. Like, the, uh, you know, Trayvon Mullen has that same does the same thing the Clemson cornerback and a lot of people are having him in the first round so uh yeah I'm not I you'd have to ask someone else I guess because we're high on him yeah (laughs) Yeah. you made made the good point yesterday I mean it's they don't think he plays zone they don't think he can play the run and we're like all right brings up the quick philosophical question when we're putting together our draft board we had to debate this internally do we project a guy assuming he's going to the perfect scheme or do we project a guy's all-around ability to fit into all 32 teams we did play around with actually having team schemes a couple years ago where we said this guy's good in man this guy's not as good in zone therefore we'll adjust it based off what we know about the team the fascinating thing about that is we took a guy like Artie Burns who we said very good man corner (laughs) don't put him in zone on our man corner team boards he was like a second rounder yeah on our zone corner boards he was like a sixth rounder and And then the Steelers Steelers drafted him a zone corner team. So they drafted, in our world, a sixth-round value. And it was just us playing around with the whole concept. Yeah. If we were doing that this year, man corner, man teams might look like this, right? Greedy Williams, number one corner. David Long, number two corner. Mm-hmm. Then maybe DeAndre Baker and Byron Murphy are still in yeah. the mix. But it's certainly not the same as a zone corner team. Mm-hmm. You know, So, like, hey, how do you do your big board? Do you just do best-case scenario or all-around ability? And when I say – when we say, like, man – what. Someone asked us this yesterday. What's really like the difference between 
you know, Seattle playing cover three every snap and a lot of man coverages. And uh, we mean more like press versus off coverage. Right. So, like, when you're in press, uh, you're basically going to have to mirror for at least five to ten yards, no matter the coverage. Like, if it's cover three match or man coverage, right. which cover three match is zone, technically. Cover one, you know, man is man. Those are, we mean man, we mean press coverage versus off, which you can still play man coverage and off. Uh, and we like we feel good about Byron Murphy doing that. Right. Uh, we think he'd be able to, uh, but it's more the press getting you know Byron Murphy getting bodied at the line of scrimmage, getting by at the top of a route because he's not big enough. Whereas an off his instincts when he can use his eyes and see the quarterback, that's when he's good. Yeah, and a lot of zone is like when you play cover two, it truly is something different. You're reading route concepts. You're yes. You know, you're tr- you're you're tracking receivers down the field. Yeah, when you're off, you're looking at not just the guy in front of you. You're right. At a lot so of that so vision's a big factor there. Movement skills are a big factor there. Where like a guy like Richard Sherman can get away with just being really physical and no in yes. technique and just being in the right position based off his length and all that stuff. So uh, people should be higher. On David Long, I will say this though: the stats are really good. His it's not like he was putting up ninety plus PFF grades though. Meaning there was a couple times he got beat and there were overthrows. There's mm-hmm. a couple times he had penalties, penalties, right? So there are things in the grading that are still saying, "Look, those stats are spectacular, but mm-hmm. they're not real." Even though it's a good way for us to kind of tell the story. Usually, if you're giving up those types of stats, yeah. you're doing something right, and mm-hmm. he is. So we really like him. Anything else? Should we circle back to what we learned? Oh, yeah, yeah, what we learned. All right, so what have we learned in the draft? This does feel like it could be a standalone segment. Matt, what have we learned in previous drafts? We've been doing this since the 2015 draft. What have we learned that has gone, gone into the way we shape our draft board today? I think one of the biggest things I've learned is density matters. Not necessarily size. There's some positions where size does matter. But density is big in terms Explain. of... If a guy is so Andy Isabella is five eight and five eighths or whatever and one hundred eighty eight pounds. If a guy is six three and one hundred eighty eight pounds, that's a big or six three two hundred pounds even. You're not as dense as Andy Isabella, right? That's you are smaller, like in a football sense, than Andy Isabella. You're not going to be able to fight through hands as well as Andy Isabella. As you are, just don't have as much strength on your frame, even if maybe you're explosive, or whatnot. You are not as dense, and that density is a big thing in terms of being able to play the game of football. That's good. Like a Bob Sanders being one of the hardest hitters at like 200 pounds because he's 5'8". You know, 5'8", 200 pounds is a lot different than 6'2", 200 Russell Wilson. Yeah. Russell Wilson is not, you know, only 205 pounds. Russell Wilson, oh, she should be injury prone. No, because he's a running back, built like running back. Right. So build matters. I think the biggest thing for all of us is the whole run game um, and how much we've devalued the run game. Uh, Even... Before we started studying it even more, I think we knew that the pass game was more valuable, but it's like getting to the extreme end of value. And it's not just running backs. There was a couple years ago we thought we had a great defensive line class because of how well guys stopped the run. Even when I started scouting prospects because we have a great video system where we could sort good and bad plays, I would always start with the run game. Let me see how this guy plays the run, and then we'll get to his pass rushing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say I didn't watch the run game this year in the scouting process, but it's certainly more of an afterthought. Uh, so it's all about how guys can affect the pass game first, and the board is going to reflect that in a lot of places. And I think to some degree I've also – that has impacted what I think of uh, athleticism. And passing game, athleticism is far more of a, you know, a factor. And I just – I don't want to be a team that drafts real poop athletes, like really bad yeah. athletes. I don't – just 
I'm not going to take the risk on bad athletes, guys who really are on the you know 25th percentile or lower in terms of NFL athleticism. I don't want to. I just don't want anything to do with them. They're and just, a lot of time that matches it, up with a lot of the on-field stuff. Mm-hmm. But we do run into this issue of sometimes there really are guys that aren't great athletes that are good college linebackers or good. You talked about density. Corners, We've yeah. run into a lot of guys that have had really good pass rushing grades, like a Sutton Smith, mm-hmm. uh, like a Shalik Calhoun, who were just yeah. so slight. Mm-hmm. That it is tough for them to translate to the next level. The other part is a lot of those guys are just filtered out by the NFL anyway. They've kind of been self-selected out. Yes. Yeah. They've been biased, biased, using that in quotes, against those guys anyway. Because I think they've, they've realized it's tough for a guy that's 230 to truly rush the passer at the next level consistently because mm-hmm. of a power issue. Um, the one other thing I'm learning, again, the more the analytics team gets in my ear, is the idea that you don't have to necessarily hit on every pick. I used to think, all right, just hit on every pick. Draft good players. Yes, I got the shirt. Draft good players. Over time, that's the way to do it. I'm much more willing now to think about... Swing for the fences. Swing, yeah, take, take shots on high-value positions hmm. only because... You know, that's it's just, very it's baseball like, analytics of you, too. Home runs being more valuable. Than, oh, yeah. yeah. Home runs, walks. <laughs> just get singles. Just get on base. But it's like putting a betting line on things. Not every bet is the same, right? Mm-hmm. So... Hitting on a running back does not give you the same return as hitting on a cornerback, right? Hitting on a quarterback, of course, is astronomical. So from a quarterback standpoint, where we used to say, well, LOL, Jake Locker, bust, Blaine Gabbert, bust. We see all these guys that are bust, and granted, those guys were probably third-round prospects anyway. But I'm not, I don't think I'm going to hate on teams as much. Even, say, Josh Allen last year. Mm-hmm. We had a late first on him. I don't want to hate on teams as much for taking shots at the quarterback position. As long as the Bills a year from now aren't saying, well, we got to wait for Josh Allen to develop. we got to yes. wait for him to develop. Uh, but that's the thing. is like, As long as you're no willing one, to move yeah. on quickly mm-hmm. within two years, I don't mind taking shots at the quarterback position because the, when you hit on them, it's worth 50 times what you would get from hitting on another position. Yeah, like everyone said, everyone laughed at the Mike Lennon deal. And, I mean, rightfully so, it didn't work out. But I think the process was sound in terms of, Hey, we have to try. Like, if it doesn't work out, we're in the same boat as we were before, of and that's course. we're a bad team. You know, <laughs> we're a bad football well, team. If we don't sign them, we're a bad football team. If we do sign them, and it doesn't work out, we saw people. But we could fun be the, a good football team if it does. We ta- we saw people making fun of the Matt Flynn deal this week, mm-hmm. saying, "Haha, remember when the Seahawks thought Matt Flynn was a franchise quarterback, and now they've got now they just paid Russell Wilson the most money." Yeah, but at the time, Matt Flynn was making what like low end starter money, high end backup money. They didn't know that Russell Wilson was going to be there in the third round and become their guy. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it at a grand scale of Seattle went into the 2012 offseason saying, I need a quarterback. How do we do it? They paid some money for Matt Flynn. They drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. And they got a Russell Wilson out of it. Yeah. From a macro view, it's like, well, all right, that's a great way to find a quarterback. And it's not like they were tied to Matt Flynn at a crippling number. In Matt Flynn did throw for 480 yards in a football game in the NFL against Matt Flynn spurred I mean, that like... YouTube video from the dude calling uh, Aaron Rodgers a systems quarterback, right? Wasn't it all that? Do you ever see that ridiculousness? No. Oh, you didn't see before that? Before my time, apparently. You had to go f- YouTube before your time? Come on. <laughs> go look it up. Aaron Rodgers, systems quarterback. Okay. Systems quarterback. Because right. Matt Flynn kept coming in, throwing for 405 or six touchdowns a game or whatever he was doing, right? And the Packers didn't miss a beat. Therefore, Aaron Rodgers is easily replaceable per... Some random dude in his mom's basement on okay. YouTube. Go I will check watch it, out. it after this. Uh, anything else you've learned 
Nope. That sound, that's, you that just was... want to wrap it up and go search the video. All right. So there you have it. It is our uh, PFF NFL podcast Thursday edition. We're one week out from the NFL draft. Again, be sure to stick with us all next week. Profootballfocus.com. Uh, Sam and I are going to be live from Sports Illustrated the first night, so you can keep track of our analysis there. We'll be competing head-to-head with you, Mike, Ooh, yeah. anchoring our coverage here Watch in man. Cincinnati. Watch me. Two screens. We can, we can go two screens. You can actually just put it up, both up on one screen. You can have both videos probably streaming. It's true. You yeah. can probably stream <laughs> both of them at the same time. So you'll be anchoring our coverage here in Cincinnati night one. We'll all be here in Cincinnati for days two and three. So stick with us all next week. And be sure to get your draft guide. Just sign up for PFF Edge and Elite. Get your 365 days of access. And that's it for us. We'll talk to you guys again on Monday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.